0: Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 through 18. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even if those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm not sure who said it or where, where I got this from. Uh, I don't think I'm clever enough to come up with this, but there are really only about seven stories in the world. Uh, there, are, there are the comedies and tragedies, and we can think of good examples of those, but there's also the, the overcoming the monster story. So, like, think Beowulf, Dracula, Star Wars. Um, there's The Quest, Uh, Lord of the Rings, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, There are the Rags to Riches stories, like like in Aladdin, Um, David Copperfield, Cinderella, and my personal favorite, uh, Brewster's Millions. Um, There's The Voyage and Return, so The Odyssey, The Hobbit. Uh, There's the Rebirth stories, like Beauty and the Beast or A Christmas Carol. If you think about it, all of those archetypes, all of those sort of story types that we have out there, the gospel's all of those, <laughs> all of those at the same time, because the gospel is this wonderful story of all history, like the most wonderful story of all history. It's, it's the tragedy of the cross, right? It's, it's the fact that a holy God of the universe would go to such lengths to save us is almost comical, right? But at the very least, it's a joy story. It's, it's overcoming the monster of sin and death. It's, it's the quest to redeem a people. It's, it's the story of riches to rags and then riches, right? The voyage through the fallen world and death Jesus in his triumphant, glorified resurrection form. We we tell stories and we retell stories over and over again as human beings that we do it across cultures, we do it across the ages because, because we need to hear them. That there's something that's deeply ingrained in who we are as human beings that that needs these stories, or that needs stories in general. The Galatians are in danger. And that's why Paul has written this letter that we're coming to the end of. The Galatians are in danger of forgetting all that matters. Forgetting the the story of the gospel is all that matters. They need to hear the story of of the gospel again and again and again. And that's what we need. We need that. And so Paul here is wrapping up his, his letter to the Galatians. And you can kind of picture Paul, wherever he is, writing this, this letter. And he's got, a, he's got someone that is writing it for him as he dictates these things to him. And like, here he comes to verse 11, and he just he grabs the pen out of the hand of the scribe. And he starts to write in these large, bold letters as if he's trying to draw attention to what he is saying to the Galatians. He's, he's bold-facing, all caps, underlining, big pink, highlightering this text for, for his readers. That you cannot achieve inward heart change through outward superficial means. Salvation comes by receiving a new identity in Christ from the inside, not by basing my identity on my outward religious activity. In chapter 5, verse 6 of Galatians, let's be reminded, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Phil Prycken says that to boast in the cross properly at all is to boast in the cross alone. What a strange thing to boast in. The word cross, the word crux in Paul's day was was a curse word it was unmentionable in private society or polite society and so really we have we have two we have two religious options in life that you can either glory in ourselves or we can glory in the cross and verse 14 paul says but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our lord jesus christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. To boast in the cross, to glory in the cross, means to live a crucified life. And so let's look at what it means to live a crucified life. Three, three, three aspects or points to this. First of all, the crucified Christ. Second, the crucified world. And then thirdly, the crucified Christian the crucified Christ. And we're just going to kind of we're going to use verse 14 and sort of we're going to keep going back to verse 14 and and build on it and and spin off of it a little bit. The the first part of verse 14 says, "But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ." The the central point of the book of Galatians is that Christ's death on the cross is enough. There's nothing to add. Like if you had to sum up the whole thing, that's what it would be. Atonement provided by the atoning death of Christ on the cross. That if we, if we boast in ourselves and in our ability to save ourselves, we will never boast in the cross and in the ability of Christ crucified to save us. That living a crucified life means having a crucified Jesus as your King The cross of Christ demands humility. It acknowledges the bad news of Christmas, (laughs) that Jesus' birth was a necessity, that all of our religious observance makes no difference in our salvation. Verse 15 For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision you might think of it this way. For neither are you saved by your church attendance. For neither are you saved by having regular devotional times. For neither are you saved by going on mission trips. For neither are you saved by your style of worship music. Or neither are you saved by your well-behaved church kids. For neither are you saved by your good sermons. If you boast in something, it's because you have it. The cross of Christ is strong enough to bear the weight of our guilt. There's, there's no need to reinforce the cross by our works. If you are in Christ, your works can do nothing to improve your standing before God. If you are not in Christ, your works can do nothing to save you. Your work has nothing to do with your salvation at all. Except as the fruit of the inward reality of a heart changed by Jesus. The prime story of the cross is one of a holy and loving God making a way for sinners to have a relationship with him. Tim Keller says religious or moral attainments and religious or moral failures are irrelevant when it comes to salvation because it's not about what I've done, but about what Christ has done. There's freedom there. There's joy there. There's, there's actually real hope there. And the effect of the cross is reconciliation. First between this, this holy and righteous and loving God and his sinful people, but also the reconciliation of sinners who so often hurt one another. No no offense can be greater than the offense of my sin against God. And if God has forgiven me, how much more should I forgive others? If I am not sufficiently humbled by the guilt of my sin before a holy God, how can I ever be humble enough to confess my sin against a fellow sinner? Paul talks about there being peace. In the church because of the cross of Christ. So there's the crucified Christ. Let's look at the crucified world, the second part of verse 14. Uh, but far be it for me to, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me. If you want to think of the world, think about the, the unredeemed humanity that is, that is dominated by sin. That's That's a good definition of the world. The the mindset of the self as it seeks its own desires. Back in chapter 5, Paul says that those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The world also means this sinful nature that we're still wrestling with, right? The flesh. You, you cannot have a crucified Jesus as your king and yourself as your king at the same time. You cannot serve the Savior and the self at the same time. When the, when the world has been crucified to you, the cross is your world. When your boast and glory is only in the cross, that changes you. You no longer think the way the world thinks. You no longer talk the way the world talks. You no longer find comfort in the world's comforts. You no longer value what the world values. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. In verse 14, this this word crucified is in the present tense, or perfect tense rather. That means it's it's this past event that has all of these present consequences. By grace, Christians, we have our want-tos reordered by the transforming power of the cross. We're new creations. Now look, new creation does not equal perfect creation right? We still struggle, we still wrestle, but, but the world is gradually losing its hold on us. And the things that the world finds beautiful, we find ourselves being less and less attracted to over time. Materialism, political power, fame and popularity, class and status, external beauty... By grace, the Holy Spirit is is incrementally, slowly turning us into new people. The new nature is taking root and dominating, the new system of desires, new affections that lead to new habits. And the world starts to lose its power over me because I'm slowly realizing the truth that my hope and my righteousness isn't found in the world. That my identity isn't rooted in the world. That actually there's nothing in the world that I want to or can boast in. Not even my own religious activity in the world. So I've been... We have a a crucified king, we have... crucified world, and then finally the crucified Christian. That last little clause in verse 14, and I to the world. The cross is offensive, and persecution is is a part of the Christian life. The true true motivation of the, the circumcision party, Paul points out, Was to avoid persecution by the Jews. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. We often think in, especially even in in the early church in the first century, of, of persecution coming mostly from the Romans, and that's certainly true. But the earliest persecution of the church came from the Jewish leaders. Think of Stephen being martyred. Think of Paul himself. What was, what was his mission before Jesus found him on the road to Damascus and called him to be an apostle? He was, he was out going house to house looking for Christians to kill. And Paul, Paul suffered, he says in, in verse 17, he suffered these and bore these marks of persecution for the sake of the gospel. The cross is, is offensive because it removes us as a foundation of confident boasting. We remove ourselves as a foundation of confident boasting. It it declares that that we ourselves are not are not. It's not possible to boast in our own activity. And Paul declares again what he declares in chapter two, verse twenty. Where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul says that that my expending religious energy into the world in order to justify myself by works is pointless. Because I have no works that count for anything. But, he says, and in, in the same verse, chapter 2, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 14, 15 in chapter 6, he says, the only thing that matters is that I am a new creation in Christ. To unbelieving ears, that's an offensive message. The message of our time is that our core identity is entirely self-determined. That my inner desires and self-conceptions and experiences are what determine my identity. And we see that most clearly in the way the culture views sexuality. Idolatry is basing an identity on any disordered desire where we put our identities into our children, when we pour our identities into our careers or our, our orthodoxy or food or money or relationships, whatever it is that we elevate to the level of basing our identity upon it, that's idolatry. And the gospel demands a whole new way of relating to myself and to the world. And that, that whole new way of relating to myself and to the world comes through as a result of my identity as a new creation in Christ Jesus. That whole new way of relating to myself and to the world comes from the beautiful, glorious gospel truth that I am an adopted son of the King of the universe because of what Jesus has done for me. That I am an adopted son whose righteousness comes not from my own fallen self-conception, but from the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to me by grace and received by faith alone. Dying to your own want-tos is painful because it involves surrender surrendering to the spirit of god as he as he convicts of sin as he breaks old habits as he points our hearts towards service and sacrifice as he gives us strength to stand against a materialistic and self-centered culture. Sanctification is hard, but the good news is that it it is accomplished by grace. That God is at work, His Spirit is at work within us, transforming us and, and shaping us and conforming us more and more into the image of His Son, Jesus, enabling us to live unto righteousness and die unto sin. The gospel results in a life that is marked. It is marked by grace. Verse 16, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The rule of law that the the false teachers in Galatia were wanting to place on the shoulders of the Galatians resulted in anything but peace <laughs> and mercy. The rule of law that the false teachers were, were dragging the Galatians away to results in oppression and continued conflict between sinful man and a holy God. It's the rule of grace that marks the church and the people of God, the true Israel of God, it's the rule of grace upon which we lean and rely and depend. It's the rule of grace that we that we cooperate with as we as we struggle and do battle and wage war against our own sinfulness. As we seek greater levels of sanctification, as we as we try to live in response to the mercy that has been shown to us in Christ Jesus as those new creations, as we live out that new creation reality. It's the rule of grace that this table preaches to us week after week, that it demonstrates to us the the, the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ in His broken body and in His shed blood. That's why I... Paul ends Galatians in verse 18 with this reminder of grace. And I have to think that he's still writing in large letters with his own hand, right? Even as he says this. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how how desperately we need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to to be with our spirits. We need to to live and to walk with the help of your Holy Spirit in the spirit of Christ Jesus. We need to to be those who are brought back again and again to the the truth of, of who we are who we are uh, but also the truth of who you are and your great mercy and love for us we need to be brought back again and again to the the wonderful gospel message so that we can know that that we can rest that we don't have to expend energy into the world in order to to please you to make you love us. You love us to the uttermost already in Christ Jesus. And that we are your treasured people. We are your Israel. Lord, thank you for that grace and mercy. Thank you for, for what you've done and what you've given to us. Thank you, Lord. As we come to this table, we can be reminded of that now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.